Hey friends, welcome back to the Emerging Roots podcast. My name is McKenna Carey and I am your host of this show. I am so excited and so grateful that you are listening and I'm also super grateful for the amount of positive feedback and encouragement that we have received over the last two weeks. If you have not listened to the last two episodes, I really recommend it. Last week is, I know obviously we don't have very many episodes out, but definitely my favorite so far that we have recorded. It is with my best friend, Jordan. Benton and we talked well she's not gonna be Benton soon she's getting married woo woo go girl um and anyway we talked about the importance of accountability and community within our lives and why that is important within the church all backed up by scripture it is awesome I recommend you listening to it I'll also link that in the show notes if you haven't listened to it already Before we get too deep into today's topic, I wanted to take care of a few housekeeping things, more so celebrations of really awesome people. If you just heard that incredible intro song, that was written and produced by my husband who also produces this podcast and helps make me sound good and teaches me how to use all of this really cool equipment. If you are in need or a friend or anybody else in your life are in need of a music producer or someone to help you make some really sick beats for your songs and you need some help and some support with that, please reach out to him. His name is Miller Boone and I am linking his Instagram in the description. He is so talented y'all and helped produce um, one of our old church's albums. Incredible music. I'll also link that below, just linking so many things. Also, if you have noticed the incredible graphic for Emerging Roots, I would have already posted it by now on Instagram if you have not already seen it. It is beautiful. And it was created by one of my good friends, Angelo Allen. He is actually in Lawrence, Kansas, attending KU at the moment. Not only is he an incredible graphic designer, he is also a phenomenal photographer. So if you are in the Lawrence, Kansas City area, then reach out to him for your graphic design needs, for your photography needs. He's currently in sports photography for the university and is absolutely so talented. So reach out to him if you need any photography needs. Reach out to my husband if you need any producing needs. Again, all of their links um, for socials and contact information will be below. But I just wanted to give credit where credit is due because this podcast would not be to the quality that it is without incredible people using their gifts and talents for the Lord. And I am so incredibly grateful. So with all of that being said, go grab your favorite tea, grab your favorite coffee, whatever you want. If you're driving, then keep driving with your eyes open and all of that good stuff. And let's get into today's show. So today we are going to be talking about the gospel and the importance of it. I wanted to do it though in a bit of a different structure than you might've heard before. I wanted to break it down into a list of four different questions. Not that the gospel is a list, but if you if you know me in person at all, and you will probably come to know rather quickly as you listen to this podcast, I am a very type A gal. I love me some organization. I like to know the why behind things, and I like to be able to have answers to questions as we go through whatever it might be. To some it might be an annoyance, but to me, it is an absolute blessing. Hence, teacher, type A teacher, it's great. But anyway, I wanted to break down those questions for you first, and then we will take a deeper dive into each of them. So first question, 
Why does this matter? By this, I mean the gospel and our faith. Why does this matter? Question two, who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Lord? Why do we need to know who he is? Question three, what do we, by we, I mean mean humans, have to do with this? Why are we in this picture? And question four, how should knowing this affect the way we live? What should we do about this, if anything, right? Okay, so first question, let's just jump right in. Why does this matter? Why does the gospel and our faith matter as a whole? Well, if you claim to be a Christian, this is rather easy, right? This is the foundation of your faith. If you are not a Christian, though, and do not profess the Lord, this is still good news for you because this is good news for all people. In Luke 2.10, the angel comes to Mary and presents this scenario that is about to play out in her life where she is about to be pregnant with the Messiah and she is a virgin. (laughs) And this is obviously kind of a terrifying thing. And angels, from what we know, might not be the most beautiful. They kind of might be scary. Um, Because if you notice, anytime someone comes into an encounter with an angel, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. And so that's the first thing that is said to Mary here. Do not be afraid, (laughs) for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. So this isn't just for the Christians of the world. This is for everyone, the Jews, the Gentiles. We are considered the Gentiles of this world. Unless you are of Jewish descent, we are considered Gentiles. So this is for everybody, no matter what your background is, right? And so the importance of this faith, I feel like, is really laid out beautifully in Hebrews chapter 11. There's parts of this that I'm going to read out straight and then parts that I will paraphrase. I will let you know which is which. But I think this chapter does a beautiful job of outlining faith and what it looks like in people's lives and why it can make such a huge impact and why it matters. So Hebrews chapter 11 Verses one through three. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at, the, at God's command that we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. But he created this earth and we physically at this moment cannot see him. So then it goes into these incredible stories, these synopsis of different stories of passages of scripture and these incredible people of faith. So I'm going to summarize verses 4 through 15 and 17 through 31. These are all examples of people who had incredible faith. Abel, Cain and Abel. Abel brought a more acceptable offering than his brother Cain to the Lord. Enoch. He was the one that was taken up to heaven without first dying. In scripture, it says it is impossible to please God without faith. And if he was taken directly up to heaven, then his faith must have been great. Noah building the ark. This is a super popular story. Um, I'm sure you've heard of this one if you haven't heard of any of these other ones. Noah and the ark with all his animals two, two by two. People looked at this man like he was nuts because he had to build this ark for, I think it was over a hundred years, but please don't quote me on that. Um, And there is physical scientific proof. I'm not going to go over it here, but I really recommend you looking into how we know that the ark truly happened. Abraham, 
He left his home for a land of an inheritance that the Lord promised him. And he left not knowing where he was going, but rather leaning on the guidance of the Lord as he went. He later offered his only son, Isaac, as a sacrifice to the Lord because he was commanded to. Sarah, she was infertile. Her and her husband were trying and trying to have children and it was not happening. She was barren. But the Lord was faithful and brought them a child. The story of Joseph, the story of Moses, the story of Rahab the prostitute. These are all people of impeccable faith. We pick up reading in verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they have longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then skipping forward to verse 32, again, those in between are the synopsis of the people of faith that we have already read. And we are going verse 32 to the end of chapter 11 here. How much more do I need to say it? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. But... Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, free on this earth, that is. They placed their hope in better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed by sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Verse 39, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised on this earth, that is. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So what they're talking about here, this heavenly homeland, this thing that God had in mind for us that is better is heaven. Eternity with him where we get to spend forever praising him. This is a perfect place with no more pain and no more fear as scripture says. So keep in mind too, this is not just a beautiful place for us as the gospel is not about us. Praise the Lord that it is not about us. But he's talking about praising him, us praising him in heaven and how beautiful of a sight that is going to be to be able to sit in his presence and worship him alongside other believers. There's great church services that we have where we get to, where we get to sit at the feet of Jesus alongside other believers on this earth, but imagine that it can only get better. Second question, who is God? Who is God? So we just talked about why faith is important. It's important for the foundation of our faith as Christians, and it is also important for all people, whether you have accepted faith, whether you have accepted Christ or not. 
it is still a saving gospel for you if you choose to receive it. And then we read in Hebrews 11 why this is such an incredible faith and why we should believe it. So who is God? Why should we believe in this, this person, this being, this man, whatever he is, right? So he's a creator. In Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was empty. There was nothing there and he created it. He was before all things. He was not created. There was never a creation of count of God. He was just there showing his power in and of itself. He holds all things together. I'm going to flip to Colossians 1.17, and we're going to read it together. Um, I'm actually going to back up a verse and go Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he created it all, and he's holding it all together. In 1 Timothy 1.17, this is one of many places that we see, it says that God is infinite. He is ever present. There's many places that we see God being ever present. In Psalms 139, which is a rather popular psalm, it talks about this. And I'm going to read this section because I feel like it is just so beautifully written as all of the psalms are. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascended to heaven, you were there. If I made my bed in Sheol, you were there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. So he is everywhere. We literally cannot run from him. He is ever present. He is infinite. He is the creator and holds all things together. He is also all knowing. This is another Psalm um, that I would like to read quickly for us. Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and abundant is his power. His understanding is beyond measure. We cannot measure how much he knows. We cannot even try to understand how much he knows. How beautiful is that? There's also another scripture in Isaiah 40, 28. It says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So he is not human, clearly. He does not grow weary. He is not weak. He is a being of something that we literally cannot fathom. Sometimes my head starts to hurt when I think about God and when I think about how big he is in the depth of his knowledge and the depth of his power, the depth of his love, but also the depth of his wrath. It says in Hebrews 12, 6, he also disciples his children. He loves us and guides us through his spirit. He ultimately, in Revelation 20, he's going to judge the world someday. He is also, speaking of the Trinity, this is, this is what we're about to divulge a little bit here by a little bit. I mean, super, super vague um, because this could be a whole topic in and of itself. He is spirit, John 4, 24. He is Jesus, fully man and fully God, meaning that he never sinned in his emotions, in his temptation. He had all of the things surrounding him that we do, temptations, emotions, anger, frustration, anything that you could think, yet he never sinned because of them and chose the way of righteousness and everything that he had. And then God the Father, he's sitting on the throne in heaven, watching over us. 
And this is all the same God. These are not three separate beings. These are all one, three in one. He is also a gracious creator that allows his people to have free will to worship him. To have free will to worship him. We get to choose him. Yes, he chose us first, but it's not a forceful thing. God is not forcing us to worship him. It is a sweet, sweet choice that we get to make. And we can see this in Mark 8, 34. So he was surrounded by a crowd. There's a lot going on at this time, a lot of miracles, a lot of teachings that Jesus is talking about. And at this point, he's talking to the crowd and his disciples, starting in 834. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words is the adulterous and sinful generation. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So this is a sweet choice that we see. He is not forcing people to follow him even while he is on earth. He is giving them a choice and he is telling them honestly what would happen if they chose to follow him and if they chose not to follow him. And we see again the fully loving yet fully wrathful peace of God here. We also see in Revelation 3.20 another beautiful illustration I feel like where you can paint this picture in your mind. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So again, this is a thing where he's standing, he's knocking, he's doing it. He's coming after us, but it's our choice to open the door and let him in, right? Like it's such a beautiful and kind of obvious picture. I thank the Lord for these beautiful symbols that are so clear to us because they're a beautiful, beautiful imagery. And also in Romans 10, it tells us how to accept Christ as our Savior if we are ready for that step. And if it wasn't our choice to do so, then we wouldn't need to know how to do it. If we were forced to do it, we'd already be doing it, right? So it's our choice to follow him and to look different. So again, he is a creator, the creator over all. He holds everything together. He is loving. He is wrathful and vengeful and jealous for his children He disciples us through his spirit, and he is so kind to us to have offered his son as a living sacrifice. He is three in one. He is the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus. He is fully man, fully God. And he is also God the Father sitting on his throne in heaven. So next question, what do we have to do with this? So we know why it's important, and we know who God is now, and why is this important? What do we have to do with this? Why does this matter? Well, my friends, let me just give you some bad news before I give you some good news. Um, I can't remember where I heard this. It was a long time ago and it's stuck with me. I've heard several people say it and it has stuck with me for a very long time. The only thing that we bring to the gospel, to this saving grace, is the sin that caused it to be necessary. Because in the very beginning, we were created perfect. We were created in the image of God. Adam and Eve were perfect before they sinned and sin, meaning to go against the word of God. So like I said, in the beginning, man was created in his image perfectly. There was one thing. They had one rule 
And don't act like you wouldn't have broken it too or broken something, broken some kind of rule that went against what God said. They were not to eat of the tree of good and evil at the center of the garden, yet they could eat from any other tree that was in this incredibly immaculate garden that God created. That was it. Satan came in the form of a serpent. And we actually, fun fact, don't know that he was the serpent until we get all the way to the back of the book in Revelation. But anyway, the serpent came and tempted Eve and said, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, God just doesn't want you to be like him. When in reality, God was just saving us from knowledge of sin and being sinful. But yet the serpent, Satan, twisted his words and said, no, 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 God is just jealous and does not want you to be like him. So then Eve took that, went against what God said, went against the word of God's sin and ate the fruit and then gave it to her husband, Adam, who also ate of it. You can find this all in Genesis. Again, all we did was cause the sin that deemed salvation necessary. We do nothing else. After this occurs in Genesis 3.15, we see the very first message, very first one, coming from the mouth of the Lord. Genesis 3.14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is God again talking to the serpent, talking to Satan, saying that there is going to be strife between them forever. (laughs) But in the long run, Jesus is going to come and crush, quite literally here in this sense, um, on the cross, sin. That is what we see. And we see that prophecy fulfilled in the New Testament. Jesus, again, fully man, fully God, meaning that he experienced everything, yet did not sin in his anger, in his emotions, in any of his temptations. He lived perfectly on earth. He performed miracles. In the last three years of his life were his public ministry. Even how he got to earth was miraculous, Take it back to Luke 2, what we first said at the beginning of this episode in this very first question that we answered with Mary. His mother, Mary, was a virgin, was engaged to be married to Joseph. Again, you can find this information in most of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're unaware of what I was talking about. And the fact that Mary was a virgin means there is no earthly possibility for Mary to get pregnant. So the only way that Jesus was able to come to earth through Mary was by the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary, which sounds weird at first, right? But then it shows the ultimate power of our God and how, first of all, stinking cool it would have been to be Mary, but also kind of terrifying at the same time. Like I could just see all of her emotions going all over the place. But even from his, the beginning of this, he was made through holy conception. Again, just showing the power of God. During his, his time, Jesus experienced a lot of ridicule, a lot of mockery, um, a lot of hatred, mostly by the Pharisees, um, those that were legalistic, very critical of him, amongst other people. Um, but he also received a lot of like positive, I don't know how to say it, like positive feedback, people that followed him, um, apostles, disciples. 
And at the end of his life, again, he had three years of public ministry, and at 33 years of age, he was crucified on a cross um, because of this shaming of people thinking that he was mocking being the, the savior of the world. And on his cross, they put king of the Jews and nailed it on top. It was supposed to be a sense of mockery, right? Like this man says he's the king of the Jews. Like he's blaspheming. He's not really who he says he is. He was mocked. He was spit on. His clothes were torn off and sold. Like it was ridiculous. He was also buried in a grave. And by his own power, his own power, again, fully man and fully God, (laughs) he raised himself back to life on the third day. Mary Magdalene was actually the first to see him when he came out of the grave and she was like, whoa, this is crazy. And then ran back to tell everyone else what was happening. He then stayed on earth for about 30 days um, in his resurrected body and his apostles and disciples shared the miraculous feat uh, um, of his resurrection. He then ascended up to heaven and his spirit came down. And I want to read this from John 16. And I want to read this starting in John 15, chapter 15, verse 18. Um, This kind of goes back to something I was just saying about how Jesus was mocked and ridiculed and hated and how we are not exempt from that if we call ourselves Christ followers. So again, John 15, 18. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I choose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than its master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them, then no one else could do. They would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. And then, He starts to go into this piece that we were just talking about, about how he's going to send his spirit. Verse 26, chapter 15. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. And then we're going to skip ahead to John 16, verse five. But now I am going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come, the spirit. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the rule of the world has already been judged. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So there's a lot there, right? 
Jesus came, and then he was crucified, and then he was resurrected by his own power and spent 30 days on this earth, and then he's going to go away again, back to heaven, and his disciples are, like, freaking out. They're not even like, where are you going? Like, no, stay, stay, stay. They're like, can't even handle it. Grieving beyond compare. I mean, I can only imagine you have your Savior physically here with you, and he's going away again after you had already just seen him brutally murdered on a cross, right? But he's trying to say like, no, 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 this is a good thing. Then you can have me in you whenever, pretty much is how he's saying it. I'm mechanifying it a little bit. But he's sending his spirit down for us so that now we all have access to his Holy Spirit. Amen. So in short, to wrap up what the gospel is before we get into what in the world are we going to do about it, we sinned. We suck. Praise the Lord. It's not about us, right? We caused the sin necessary. Even though the Lord created us, we chose to not live um, fully in his image as we were created and went against his word because of temptation and still do to this day. So he chose to send his son at the right time in history. He was fully man and fully God. He lived perfectly, performed miracles, had a public ministry for the last three years of his life, was crucified on a cross, brutally murdered, rose again on the third day by his own power after defeating death, hell, and the grave so that we can have life with him. After he resurrected, he spent 30 days up on earth again in his resurrected body, was spreading the news of his resurrection through his disciples. And then he ascended up to heaven. And this was all to be in relationship with us. Every one of us, bringing it back to that beginning point, this is for all people. This is a beautiful message for all people. And is not only the foundation of our faith, but really is the foundation of our life, of everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you act, everything that you read in scripture points back to the gospel, my friends. It is such a beautiful love story. Like, Friends, I challenge you not to take it for granted. Before we get into this last question of what we should do about it, I just think we should pray for our hearts to be softened and for us to be open and willing to truly living this out. Lord, I thank you so much for the gospel, for this beautiful love story that, again, we have no reason being in. You created us perfectly and we messed that up but yet you still chose us despite our mess ups and despite how we mess up every day. And you love us. You choose us on a daily basis. Lord, I pray that we would continue to choose you and that we would feel challenged in ways to live out this faith, Lord. I pray that we would love you wholeheartedly in everything that we do. Lord, you are so good and we love you and we do not take any of this for granted. I pray that you would continue to soften our hearts and open our minds to ways that we can look more like you, present the gospel in our words and in our actions, Lord, to everybody around us because this is a message for all people. We love you, Lord. Last question. What do we do about it? In my notes for this, I literally just have scriptures written down that I'm going to read to you because... I feel like that is the most powerful way to get this across because this gospel is such a powerful and loving message. We have to do something about it. We have to be compelled to live this out. So let me 
open these scriptures and read them together. The first one is probably one you have heard before, if you're somebody of faith. Um, The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Let's read it together. Now the eleven disciples went out to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So clearly Jesus is telling this to the disciples after his resurrection, right? And going to say, go tell people about this. Go make more fishers of men. Go get people on our side. And though Jesus in this moment was not directly talking to us, I genuinely feel that we can learn something from this. We're not putting ourselves in this story We are seeing what we can learn from it. And I think from this, we can learn to be bolder with our faith. Going and making disciples everywhere, anywhere we are. And baptizing them, having that public profession of faith. And so I challenge you, if you are saved and have not been baptized, I challenge you to do so. And then John 15 through 16, again, I already read this, um, but just wanted to bring it back to remind you that, okay, we're living this out, right? But it's not always going to be easy. We could even go back to the scripture in Hebrews 11 and learn from, learn from some of those passages. Um, one guy was cut in half. One girl was given kids and one girl was cut in half, you know, like it's, it's give and take here. But also if Jesus suffered, just like it said in scripture, why do we expect that we won't? The servant is not greater than the master. So anything that happened to Christ while he was physically on this earth, why wouldn't it happen to us also? Whether it be persecution, whether it be blessing, either or. And then Philippians 1.27. This is something that comes into my mind a lot. We were sitting in a small group several months back, and we were going through Philippians, and I was reading the chapter for the week, and it stuck in my mind, and we discussed it that night as well, and it's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So friends, I ask you this. Are you living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? Are you leaning into the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, if you're of faith, and asking Him for guidance 
Because it says, as we read in John, he will provide us guidance in the truth. Are you taking time to listen to him? Are you treating people as Christ would? This is not only in being loving and kind and caring, but also pointing out to them and being accountable with them, like Jay and I talked about last week. Are you holding one another accountable within your sin? But if somebody is to watch your life, would they be able to at least know something was different? If they couldn't pinpoint it, if they couldn't say, this girl believes in Jesus, they would at least know something is different about you because you have the spirit within you. You are worshiping him with everything that you do, with your gifts, with your talents, with what you do from your nine to five outside of your gifts and talents. I want to leave you with this quote today, friends. I posted about it a few weeks ago on Instagram. I've heard it from one of my favorite podcasters, and it has, again, been something that has just stuck in my brain alongside with living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. The only thing you have to do today is the will of God. And that feels rather intimidating, right? But when you think about it, it's simply doing the next right thing in accordance with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which again, sounds really intimidating, but it's simply doing the next right thing, being kind, sharing the truth, being generous, doing things to the best of your ability. How can you show Christ to those around you? Are you living a life that is worthy of the gospel? So friends, I hope that today was eye-opening for you, even if you've heard the gospel before. I really hope that this was an episode that broke it down a little bit differently and maybe helped you see the importance of it in a whole new light. And again, the only thing you have to do today is the will of God. Have a great day, friends. Go and choose joy today.